Good morning, everyone. Good, so good to see you this morning. What an incredible day outside. Can you believe how bright and sunny it was? Just an, it's such an enjoyable day uh, to be a, a part of and to wake up and to, to see. For those of you who are online with us, we're glad that you are here with us as well in spirit and that we're just thankful that we're able to worship together with one another, especially in our in-person services. It's such a great joy to be able to look out and see uh, faces that are, are there. No doubt as you've been uh, driving around the, uh, our city, and uh, the Treasure Valley, you probably have noticed that there's a lot of building going on, a lot of new houses, a lot of new buildings that are up. In fact, it's growing so rapidly that you can drive down one street one week or maybe a month and then drive down that same street. And what do you know? There's a, there's a new business just went up or a new building or a new subdivision that has started. It's incredible the way things are just going up all around us. And one of the things that is common among all those things and certainly is important to all those things is for them to have a strong foundation. Without a strong foundation, those buildings and those houses cannot stand or would not last for very long. Well, Jesus, he talked about the importance of having a strong foundation in, in life. And he ended it by the, in the Sermon on the Mount by talking about foundations that was read to us just a few moments ago by Bud. And in that section of Scripture, you recall the Sermon on the Mount. He's had a lot of important things to say to them. And then he says, listen, he who hears my words and acts upon them would be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rains came, and the floods came, and the wind blew against the house, but the house stood firm because it was built on a strong foundation or upon a rock. On the other hand, he says that a person that hears these words of mine and does not act upon them would be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And when the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew against the house, it says the house that was built on the sand, a shifting foundation, he said it went flat. It was completely destroyed. Well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that you know, without a strong foundation, a house or a building cannot stand long especially if there is some kind of disaster that strikes or some kind of trial that comes along. And what is true of physical buildings or physical houses is certainly true of, of church, churches or congregations. Congregations that are to be happy and, and joyful and healthy environment, and, and vibrant are congregations that are building upon a very strong foundation. That foundation is absolutely a necessity when it comes down to the survival of what the church should be. So in keeping with our theme on reset, let me just remind you of when we talk about resetting things, we're talking about things that we already know. These things are not new to you. They are not profound truths. They are truths that you know, but sometimes because of just time and certainly because of this pandemic where we've had to change a lot of the ways that we do things it's easy for us to become distracted it's easy for us maybe even to neglect things and so this idea of resetting has the idea of refreshing or restoring or renewing or rebooting the things that are necessary for us to walk as christians and for our congregation to carry out the message and the mission of what the church really is about. So I talked to you about the script that God has a will for us that is different from that of the world. I talked to you about resetting our purpose to remind ourselves that everything that we do in life is to give glory to uh, God. I talked about our profile, and our profile has to do with our characteristics that distinctively make us different from the world in which we live, and that when they see our lives, they should see that there is a difference between uh, them and the world in which we live. I talked about priorities, those things that are of value, those things that are of importance to us. 
I think I did a couple of sermons on priorities. And then I talked to you last week about fashion, about resetting our fashion. And as I talked to you about resetting our fashion, I talked about the need for us resetting the fact that we need to stay biblically centered. That it's really easy for us to forget that, you know, everything that we know and everything that we do as a church is driven by what the Word of God says. That we need to be authentic. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we have to reset that and relook at things and make sure that we are being the, the real deal, that we're being genuine, that there is an authenticity about who we are as a congregation. That there's a need to be gracious. How gracious are you in terms of conflict? How gracious are you when it comes down to disagreements? How you interact with one another? How you just work with one another? Or being irrelevant? Being, you know, being up to date. You remember I ended the sermon by saying to you that we are taking a never-changing gospel to an ever-changing world. So there's always a need to, at least from time to time, do a reset where we just kind of back off, take a step back, and look at the things that we're doing as an individual Christian and as a congregation and ask ourselves, is this something that we need to redo? Is this something that we need to reset and get going again? Because we've been shut down to, for all practicality in terms of mission and effort you know, for the last year. And soon we're going to start opening up and start, more things are going to start happening. And, and I just want us to make sure that we're going to be ready to do that. Not just do I want this, but the, the, the leadership wants it. And I believe you want this as well that we want to be able to carry out the mission and message of what the church is about to a, a lost world that is around us and so this morning i'm going to add another foundation another reset and that is resetting our foundation resetting foundations are so important as i've already mentioned uh, to you because most of us would agree, if we're, unless we're living on a rock somewhere, that there are times, we're living in times where things seem to be shifting like sand under our feet. Like living in a dune where it's one way one day and it's different the next day. We're, we're living in the times where it's like living in an earthquake where things are trembling around us and shaking the things that we think are, are no, uh, normal. And so there's that need to reset things. If you're a little bit older, you can probably look back and say, you know what, I wish that we could just go back to the, the good old days. And when you think about the good old days, it's talking about a period of better times, often used to describe a time that we believe was better, simpler, or more wholesome than the current period. And so those of you who are older out there, do you ever say that to yourselves? I, you know, the good old days were really great. I wish I could go back there when haircuts just cost $2 rather than 20 or $25 now. That a tank or a gallon of gas cost 25 cents. Or there, there wasn't any such thing as climate change or when the air was clean and school was fun and life was simple. We think about days like that, and we think about what we call the, the good old days. And so we say, wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to the good old days? Wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to, you know, February 2020 in the good old days? If, today, if you were to open up your newspaper, or maybe say a CNN article, or on MSN, or or Fox News, or, or Google, or Yahoo, or wherever you get your information from, you might read an article that reads much like this one that is behind me. The world is too big for us. Too much is going on. Too many crimes. Too much violence and excitement. Try as you will, you get behind in the race. It's an incessant strain to keep pace, and still you lose ground. 
Science empties its discoveries on you so fast that you stagger beneath them in hopes of be hopeless bewilderment. The political world is news seen so rapidly, you're out of breath trying to keep pace with who's in and who's out. Everything is high pressure. Human nature can't endure much more. It sounds like, I mean, today, doesn't it? And yet that article there is written 150 years ago in the Atlantic Journal, June 16th, 1833 in the good old days back in the good old days that's what they were saying and yet that that little that article behind me or that paragraph behind me sounds so much like 2021 uh february the 28th doesn't it and if you think that we're the only generation that ever struggled with say an energy crisis that we're worried about oil. Do you remember back in the 70s when they were saying, or at least I do anyway, back in the 70s, and they said, we're running out of oil. There's not enough oil. And so also we went from paying 30, you know, 37 cents a gallon all the way up to 57 cents a gallon, like overnight, because there was not, they were running out of oil. And they just kept that mantra going along, you know, and on and on, and still we're driving cars that are burning oil and using oil for everything under the sun. So we think that, you know, it's, it's, that's the way it is. But in the good old days, they didn't worry about energy crisis. Except for in the Boston Globe, November the 13th, 1857, energy crisis looms. World to go dark. Well blubber, scarce. <laughs> the good old days. But I want you to know something about the good old days. During the good old days, world wars raged. Horses were dying in the street of cholera in New York City. In 1918, there was the Spanish flu that conservatively 50 million people died globally. Some say maybe 100 million died globally. And guess what they were wearing? Masks. And, of course, there was no indoor plumbing, so you went out to pit toilets. There was no air conditioning. You know, that was the good old days. And what you find out is that the good old days weren't all that good after all. When you stop and you really look at those days, I like what Franklin Pierce uh, Adams said. He says, nothing is more responsible for the good old days than a bad memory. And that is so true. We long for the good old days, but maybe the good old days were not all that great. The days are what they are. But because we're not living in the past, because we're living right now in this period of, of times, we can think, what's, what does the future hold for us? Where are we going in all of this? And Daniel the prophet, who wrote thousands of years ago, said, let the name of God be blessed forever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and epochs. He removes the kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to men of understanding. The thing is, is are we going to listen to what God has to say? Are we going to listen to all the murmuring that is, surrounds us in, in terms of all the different changes, all the shifting of sand and all the quaking that's going on? Are we going to listen to God? Or are we going to listen to those things? Because he says he gives wisdom to man. He gives us an understanding and a knowledge on which to base our faith. And I think that that's why David would write these words here. My times are in your hand. David recognized that. Now, when you read through the Psalms and you read through the various um, Psalms that David wrote, you would think, okay, but there was times when David felt like the sand was shifting under his feet. There was times when David felt the earth quaking around him. 
But when he would stop and really consider things and really think things through, he would end up saying, listen, every generation, every situation, it's in God's hands. But sometimes we can get so you know, filled up with life around us, so blitzed by life around us, that we're tempted to forget, really, who is in control and whom we are to put our trust in. So times can shake our, shake our foundation. They can cause us to, to wonder about things. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in terms of how the world changes. Take world population. You know, from the beginning of time of recorded history up to 1845, there were only a billion people on the face of the planet. Only a billion people. You go ahead, it's not quite even 100 years, and the number doubles to 2 billion people. You go ahead by a little bit more, 30 years, and the figure is now 3 billion people. 1977, it rose to 5 billion people. And then as we get to 2021, the world population is 7.5 billion people on the face of this planet. You see how things are changing? How many more people? You go from a billion to seven and a half billion people that crowd in on this planet, and no end is in sight in terms of how we are populating during the pandemic. I mean, look at all the babies that are getting ready to be born and are being born. I mean, we are, we're moving forward in, in rapid kinds of, of ways. And then when it comes down to the, the rapidness of knowledge it, itself, what about when you look at the changes in the book industry or the computer or internet industry? There you have so much information that is coming at you that you, can't, you couldn't read it all in a thousand lifetimes, probably a million lifetimes. You can't get all the information that is flying at us. And so it parallels itself with the increase of knowledge. If you could take and measure it, uh, it would uh, height... Uh, all of man's knowledge up to 1845 would measure one inch. One inch of knowledge. From the beginning of time to 1845, one inch of knowledge. If you take it 100 years later to 1945, you've grown three inches of knowledge. Three inches of knowledge. If you take this thing and move it up to our day in 2021, from 1945 to the day, the height of the the uh, the uh, the uh, Burj Khalifa, Khalifa building that rises 27,017 feet tall, that's where knowledge has went. From one inch, 100 years, to three inches, to here, to, I mean, to 20, I mean, take three inches beside the, the Khalifa building, which is the tallest building in the world, and you get an idea how fast knowledge has really taken off around us and call it's called the knowledge doubling curve from an article of industry tap written by david Schilling, the host went on to say that not only in, is human knowledge on average doubling every 13 months we are quickly on our way with the help of the internet to doubling of knowledge every 12 hours that's incredible when you think about how much knowledge or information that is out there, how quickly it was going, and when you look at all that and how fast the world is changing, such information almost rocks us to our, our core, making us feel like the foundation is crumbling beneath us because we can't seem to think fast enough or to move fast enough to know how to navigate our way through this life. 
And yet there is a foundation. There is something that is there. I wrote these words here because I thought of Jim Corner, this buddy that I go with, you know, to Africa. He's always saying to the brethren there when he's doing his seminar, he'd say, but don't worry, but don't worry. Well, he used it in the Southern Draw accident, but don't worry. God knows everything that man has discovered. He understands nuclear energy. He understands thermodynamics. He's not having indigestion over climate change. He's not having any kind of coronary experience over speed of the world. That stuff is not bothering God. Why? Because God's created it all. And everything that is known and will be known has been already known by him a long, long time ago. So why am I saying this to you? Because he is a foundation. There is a foundation of the world that's constantly shifting on us in terms of morals and values and codes of conduct and, and those things that matter to us as Christians. You know, those things are shifting and we wonder, what are we going to do? Well, remember Daniel said, listen, God is the one that is in charge of the times and the epics. He decides who's going to be king and he removes kings and that would be that would refer to probably all political uh, people that are out there god is in control of those things so god is our unshakable foundation now david writes this psalm behind me psalm 11 and and verses 1 through 3 but the context is that as david has went from being a shepherd boy who would be out in his field taking care of his woolies all of a sudden he becomes the anointed king Saul hates him for it. And eventually, because David becomes popular among the masses, Saul is going to use the power that he has as the king to chase David. He wants to kill David. He wants to run him down. David finds himself in a wilderness. And in this wilderness, he finds himself lodging in caves from time to time. And so there's a good possibility that he writes this psalm from the inside of a cave where he, in a metaphorical way, looks at the, the cave structure itself as a refuge or a rock that is there. And he says these words, In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. The sh they shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what is he he's saying? David is saying that he is in need of a, a solid foundation upon which to rest. Things are changing around him. The world is shifting around him. His world is shifting. It's like an earthquake that is going on. And he is saying, I need a foundation upon which to rest, one that is undisturbed, one that is, is not subject to change. And Dave says, you are my refuge, God. So Lord, what can the righteous do when everything is up for grabs, when everything changes so much? And David's question is our question. And I think that that question is answered by Paul as he writes to Timothy over in 2 Timothy, the second chapter. So if you open your Bibles, that's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time uh, this morning. In that section of Scripture there, recall uh, Paul is in, well, he's in less than the twilight of his life. He's at the end of his life. He's in prison. He's waiting his execution. The fourth chapter, 
Paul says that I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. And in the midst of this, he writes to Timothy, who's, I think, is filling the shifting sand beneath him. Something is going on in the church of Ephesus. And it's causing Timothy to doubt things. It's causing Timothy to shrink back. His foundation has shook. And so Paul wants to reaffirm some things for him and to remind him of what is important and what the foundation is about. Paul writes to him in verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless. I think some of your translations say which are vain or, or empty and leads to the ruin of hearers. Now, I don't know what those word debates were. I know that we have word debates in, in our time. But what is it that causes ruin among us? The word ruin is a word that comes from the Greek word uh, Catastrepho. It's where we get our in English word uh, catastrophe from. That's where it, it comes from. And what Paul is saying is he's exhorting Timothy uh, to stay away from verbal rabbit trails and stick to truths that are timeless. Watch out for the things that are going to lead you down a crooked or a windy path that leads to nowhere. It's an endless kind of thing. And so don't get caught up into some of those uh, things. So he says to him, be diligent to present yourselves approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but one who handles accurately the word of truth. You remember last week we touched on this passage of scripture, and I said that that word handle accurately means to cut straight. And so when preachers preach, they ought to cut a straight line. They ought to make things simple enough that we can navigate down that straight path to a truth and then be able to make that application to the truth. He says, so avoid, avoid what? Avoid crooked, windy, twisting roads of the world, of empty chatter, for he says it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, many who have gone astray from the truth. They're preaching that the resurrection has already happened and you missed it and all those kinds of things. That's the context there. But how does that apply to you and me? Well, it applies in that it's easy to get caught up around the water cooler. It's easy to get caught up in our, our living rooms or our, in our discussions with one another where we talk about things that have the potential of, of destroying our peace, our comfort, our joy, ruining things. Like what? Like COVID-19, a little dinky, dinky virus has destroyed relationships, has divided a country, climate change. Politics, which is always changing, and yet we get so caught up in that stuff, and the result of that is, is it erodes the foundations of our lives. It takes us down a rabbit trail, because what is today's news becomes forgotten, and there's new news on the horizon that is going to be of another nature or another situation. And so such debates can be catastrophic in leading to ruin, to your peace, to your joy, and the relationships that you have with those who are in the world and with those within the family of God where we get caught up in those kinds of things. The other applications are is the religious false teachers in, in the world are sending tremors through the church. Paul well, he can solidly exhort Timothy when he says, the firm foundation of God stands.
stands. God is on his throne. God holds the future. God is not surprised about anything that is happening around us. He can be our refuge. He can be our rock. He is our firm foundation. And that's the answer to David's question over there in Psalm 11 and verse 3. How can we stand? These guys are out there shooting arrows at us. They're shooting it in the dark at us. What, do the, what can the righteous do? And he gets his answer. When everything is falling apart and quaking under your feet, the only stable ground is that which is laid by God. Look what he says. It says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Look at verse 16, or verse 19, that's what it says. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. I like the way the New Living Translation, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. The Living Bible, it says, God's truth stands firm like a great rock and nothing can shake it. We live in an unshakable kingdom. The only thing that can shake us is our own imaginations. God is the one who is in control of these things. Nevertheless, Paul says, a firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. So he says there are two seals. The first seal is an invisible seal. It's a secret seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1 numbers 22 and 5 and 5 says that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God knows. He's branded you. He knows who his possessions are. The world may not see that, but you know who you are. The second one is more visible. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. We live in a wicked world. I mean, we like to say that. But we live in a wicked, wicked world. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4. But realize this, that in the last days, by the way, we're in the last days. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, rivalers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the world you live in. I mean, we, I mean, we don't like to think of it like that. But that's the world we live in. Men who oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, Paul says. They will also be deceptive, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So who can handle a world with savage people like that? How is the church uh, to survive in the depravity and the deception and the difficulty that is around us? I will remind you, there's a foundation that never changed. God does not change. God is there. He is always on the throne. He's still the rock. He's still the refuge. And his word is always there. There is a standard, a code of conduct that remains constant, that does not shift with culture. 
that does not shift from generation to generation. Though people try to shift it and try to change it, those things do not change. So what is essential to survival? And the answer to that is not isolation, but discernment. Discerning what? Well, discerning things secularly, but also discerning things spiritually. And the Word of God helps you to do both. What is discernment? It's the ability to spot error, to realize the danger ahead signs, to know the real issues, to distinguish from half-truths, pure motives from hidden agenda, as well as good and evil. So Paul, he, he knows this. And so he writes to Timothy. As you look at verse 14, he says to Timothy these words, You, Timothy, however... Continuing the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, where did you learn this? Well, you learned it from your mother and your grandmother. You learned it from Lois and, and Eunice. What they taught you have not, has not changed. The situation that you're going through in Ephesus has not changed. You know, in terms of what the Word of God says, God is still the foundation. His Word is still the foundation. And then he says to Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may know how to live, how to adequately live his or her life. It's a compass. It's a foundation stone that we can rely upon to give us direction in, in life. And so God's word gives us all the discernment we need to stand firm in the midst of shifting sands and in the trembling earthquakes of a, a wicked world that is around you. So how do you sharpen your, your discernment? Well, discernment is simply the skill of seeing the difference between what is good and what is bad. And that's what Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verses 12 through 14 says. He goes, I'm, you're, you're still so dull of hearing. I need to talk to you more about Melchizedek and the priesthood, but you become dull of hearing because by this time you ought to be teachers of the word, but you need someone to come and teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you are not in need of uh, solid food, but you're in need of milk. But those who are mature can eat meat because they have learned to discern between both good and evil. That's what the word of God says. So you're saying, how do I navigate through this world in which I live where everything, where values and standards are shifting so quickly on us, where they're passing bills in Congress and maybe even in the Senate when they're, you know, when they're changing things around us, what do we do? Well, we go back to the foundation and we stand on that foundation. Secularly, it may be used to, on the assembly line to pick out the flaws of a manufacturing or in college classroom to pick out the flaws of philosophy or in choosing a business or maybe even a marriage partner. Spiritually, it's the valuable value of knowing the difference between what God's will is and what the words, world's will is. Discernment. Whatever application, discernment uh, becomes uh, sharper when honed with the scriptures. Because that's the only way you're going to know. Because the world's going to tell you one thing, but God's certainly got another thing, and his is timeless. All you have to do, you don't have to live long in our world to see how we've changed philosophically. Our values, 
I mean, you can see it that it's there, but God's word remains the same. You know all this, don't you? I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know or anything that I haven't already preached in the last 19 years going. The commandments make me wiser than my enemies, the psalmist says, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for their thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed the precepts. Look what he's saying there. It's giving me more eyesight than all my teachers. I don't care how many degrees they've got. It gives me more insight than even those folks. And when it comes down to um, the aged even, with age comes wisdom, but not always. And so what is the word overcome even that was you? Because it is ageless. It's ageless. It has always been, and it hasn't changed. So discernment, how discerning are you when it comes to biblical truth and error? How sharp is your eye when it comes to spotting flaws in character? How skilled are you when it comes to discerning what is of eternal value in your daily schedule and what isn't? Because the Word of God helps us in those, those areas. So if your spiritual vision is a little blurry, Scripture can be the corrective lens that brings everything into focus. So I'm talking about resetting our foundation, right? And so even though times are, are changing, the shifting and the trembling, uh, like an earthquake is happening, there are things that never change. Number one, God never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, he'll be the same, tomorrow, and on into the future. His word will be the same way. The new covenant will never change. Those words will always be there, leading all the way into eternity, and it gives us the foundation and the compass for living in these changing uh, times. So I'd leave you with this passage of Scripture from Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, and he will make your paths straight, is how that passage ends. He will make your path straight. And so resetting our foundation, it's a pretty simple lesson, really is, because it's really only made up of two points. The first one is this, God is our foundation, he never changes. Trust him. Two, his word is our foundation, it never changes. Trust it, abide in it, obey it, live it in your lives. Resetting our foundation. So important to who we are as Christians and certainly as a congregation. May, you, may God bless you as you consider the lesson and your response to it. If you need to do so, why don't you do it while together we stand and sing and give you opportunity.